Hello and welcome to this new installment of the All New 52 podcast. I am the resident anarchist, Joe Schrimmer, and with me as always is my fellow anarchist, Caleb Bunn. Does that make Mark the party member? I'm not sure how I, I have like to be that. The, yeah, I didn't know you were going to claim the resident anarchist. <laughs> The resident one here, at least. I, I mean, I could start over and just be the fascist, but I feel like that's oh, that, fascist, would, that might that be the episode not flag. Be a solid. That would be fun. I know. <laughs> I, I need to watch out. Also, there. If you haven't heard already, there's another voice here. We have uh, guest Mark Young from the Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey podcast. Here. Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, we've been looking forward to it. We talk about comics on this podcast, from the new to the old to you know the absolute classic, which. You know, it's one that we probably were going to get to sooner or later. It's a writer who I'm surprised we haven't covered yet. Um, yeah. And we have a special guest to talk about it with us this week. So there's a tons to enjoy today. Caleb? Yes. Today we are reading V for Vendetta by Alan Moore, uh, written by Alan Moore with art by David Lloyd, coloring by David Lloyd, Steve uh, Whittaker, Shaban Dobbs. Probably Whitaker, but... You're right. It definitely is. <laughs> I was telling, I was joking beforehand about all, how I knew how to pronounce all these names, and yet when I start reading them. Uh, and then lettering by Ginny O'Connor, uh, Steve Craddock, and Alita Fell. But before we get into that, Mark, um, I know uh, we've talked in the past about Saga and about Sandman and various other comics, but yeah. for our listeners... Uh, how'd you get into comics and what's something that kind of uh, appeals to you about the medium? Well, my first exposure to comics was probably when I was in grade school and after school, instead of doing like a program, I would often go to the library and they had those large copies of Sandman. You know, it's like the big omnibus things or the, whichever one had the directors, not the directors, but like the writer's notes in the margins. I had access to all of those when I was in grade school. And that was my first real moment of like i love comics and this is my end because before then i could pick up things like the green lantern this story arc or something like that i have a bunch of those at my house like superhero arcs i i remember i'm talking about green lantern because i got his um darkest night story whichever one where they all become zombies or something like that that was blackest night yeah. yes thank you um so that was my thing. But I think for me, my first big comics moment was reading Sandman initially. And after that, I started getting more into Akira. And, and I, I tried to be an Alan Moore completionist. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm pretty close. And for me, it's mostly been about collecting, um, you know, like, uh, like graphic novels or whatever, or collected editions of things. So I, I've not been like a regular reader, but definitely pick up things like, you know, I have the, the death of Superman, that arc, I've got a copy of that in my house and I have the Batman story where there's an earthquake in Gotham and things like that. And then I also mm -hmm. have all of Akira and I, I have read Berserk and Bakuman, which is the episode of this show that I listened <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, baby. I was like, oh my gosh, they have an episode on Bakuman. I didn't even know people knew about this. But That was such an early episode, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I forget. Whatever, whatever drew me to it, I was like, I got to listen to something. And I was like, oh my gosh, Bakuman. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, little. I'm not a, I'm not a regular or a broad reader, but I definitely gravitate towards dark collections of things. 
have you um have you had a chance to read Alan Moore's Captain Britain run yet? No, not yet. Is that what he's doing right now? Or No, no, he did that in the 80s, but it's um there are rights issues around it and he is uh has not always been very res- uh accepting of it being reprinted. So oh, okay. I was wondering if if you had happened because that's that's something I really want to read because it has later influence on Claremont's X-Men. Um oh, so okay. I, I was curious if you had read it and if you had thought. But if you hadn't, that it makes perfect sense. It's not <laughs> it is not an easy one to read. Well, I say that I'm like trying to be an Alan Moore completionist, but I haven't like really dug into Swamp Thing or whatever. I think my my deepest cut from him would probably be from hell. Um, which is you know, not a not a deep cut in the world, but I'm you know just like sitting down and reading all of From Hell is my big Alan Moore Moore thing. But like I know he did he's he's done like different superhero uh, works before. But I don't know. I I was just more attracted to like when he really goes off the rails and does his own philosophical things. Like I've tried to start Jerusalem a few times. That's the stuff that. Uh, it really draws me to him, but no, oh, I should write that down. I'll check that out. Captain Britain. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, not always easy to get your hands on, mm-hmm. but um, I think it relates to what we talked about today because uh, he also has some commentary on British politics there. And that's obviously a big thing of V for Vendetta, mm-hmm. which is the uh, a dystopian story about a future Britain that has been taken over by, uh, I believe the Norse fire party, but a, uh, Christian fascist party that has taken over um, Britain after a nuclear war and the uh, kind of a symbol of anarchy, uh, the mysterious V who fights, uh, fights back against them um, and his young apprentice captive. Yeah. Captive kind point, of point. Yeah. Uh, Evie, Evie Hammond who over the course of the story is kind of the eyes and character to this wider, uh, wider struggle between anarchy and fascism. There's a lot here. If there's a better way to, to give the synopsis, I'd love to hear it. You know, some of you may be wondering this, this, this little known book, V for Vendetta, is that the thing Gotham or not Gotham, uh, Pennyworth, the Butler, the the origin of Batman's (laughs) Butler was alluding to in season three. Yes, it is. Yeah. There was a movie. I was I'm still amazed. so confused. <laughs> I have not watched that show. I just thought of that while Caleb was doing the synopsis. I was but like, I have. Have you seen this. the clip of the atom bomb going off? No. Oh, that's. I mean, that's how I know that it's a prequel because there's like this clip going around of. I don't know. It's spoiler alert for Pennyworth or whatever. But like <laughs> for it, the canceled show. Yeah, but it's sort of it like ends with an atom bomb going off. But I I don't know. It's like maybe it's in in Britain, which is not what the story is about. I don't know. That show was wild, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. The fact that you can transition a show from a Batman show to, yep, V for Vendetta too. <laughs> yeah, you know what? People like V for Vendetta. That's where we should go with this. Um, yeah, they, I would they go I hand would, in hand. Yeah, I would quibble with. I think the movie is a story about Evie, and I think that Evie is one of many characters in this V for Vendetta story. I think that V for Vendetta is much more like a Batman story where it's really like a crime fighting 
adventure thing and it's it's got this big cast of characters but like evie's kind of like robin like batman is not the story through robin's eyes um and i think we have this big perception of evie because of natalie portman and how that movie was written to slim down the narrative but one of the things i really like about the original book is how evie is one character among many and she has different amounts of agency yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a tapestry, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, three books as it's formatted. But I believe it was originally released in ten uh, over ten issues mm-hmm. uh, in Warrior magazine, and then obviously DC would pick it up to do the uh, to do the re re release and reprint in Vertigo. But I, it, it is one of those things where it's like I can it, it's it's very hard to nail down the whole of V for Vendetta. Oh yeah. Because, it's dense. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a wide reaching story. Um, but no better place to start than the art. Hey Mark, what did you think about the art for of V for Vendetta? Well, I liked it, but it's weird that we have it in its colorized version, isn't it? You know, cause I think that it's interesting bit. that they colorized it, but I, I have to like stop and remind myself that it was printed in black and white. And that's, it's fast. It's fascinating looking at it that way. Um, so I, I, oh, sorry, go on. Oh no, no, no. I I didn't want to. I was trying not to interrupt you. But I think it's one of those books where it's like, yeah, you can kind of get a look at it and be like, yeah, this was not originally uh, created with color in mind. Mm-hmm. There's not not so much. That it's like that the that when he went back and colored it that it looks bad, but just the way that usually with such a heavy use of shading they're using that to help differentiate stuff you don't really see that that much when you have an arsenal of color available to you yeah yeah the colors are very muted um and it's majority blues and yellows that he's using which i think blends into kind of the gradations of black uh of the original um but i don't know like i i would love to sit down and read a black and white version of this um, but I think if you are going to go back and recolor it, there are a lot of panels that I do think, uh, have kind of a striking quality when you put the color into them, especially the, it's kind of early on in the story, but it's a panel looking up at V as he's kind of chasing a train and the oh, way yeah. that the blues meld into the white of the sky. And it's such a dark book too, that it has such this bright panel, um, is just a really dynamic looking image. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, too, with the black and white, how that high contrast approach to the art uh, refers or makes you think about like the high contrast photography that ends some of the later volumes. So you you can see that it's 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 referring to that kind of and it's it's like this is this is like a document and it's real in some ways. Yeah, they're playing it. Everything's getting played very realistically. There's not too much um, getting getting drawn that looks out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the only thing that's just a little goofy is V's haircut. But yeah, well, and some of the characters. What man would go me? around looking like this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to find. You know, the original Guy Fox masks and just uh, I don't know. I think that's so cool that they were able to take this image and now it's this big thing 
But yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from a few facial expressions later on, it's it's all pretty pretty photographic. I also really like the way that the pages are laid out. Um, a, a common theme on a lot of our episodes about kind of uh, these DC books that are trying, like modern DC books, are trying to live up the le- to the legacy of people like Moore, um, uh, Lloyd, and Gibbons is this idea of like it, it has to fit into a nine-panel grid because that's what Moore books did. But I, I've, there's a lot more flexibility here it is kind of like a, it's kind of taking off that same idea of um, we're going to have like three sections to the page and then intersperse it with whether it be nine or whether it be, you know, 12 or eight panels. Um, But I feel like Lloyd has a lot of control over time, especially when he is intercutting between scenes, which happens quite a bit in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of jumping around going on. Yeah, it's interesting. This is sort of, this may be a more uh, accurate thing to say about something like Watchmen, but even in V for Vendetta, it's fascinating how within the the rigid structure of that grid layout, they can play with so many angles and, and blockings and things like that. Yeah, I think, because I'm thinking specifically of um, the last thing I think we read that tried to ape off of this nine panel system was uh three jokers which mm. just came off as so like it, it's well drawn art but it just came off as very stiff and very boring but i think it, yeah there wasn't like method a method yes. behind the the paneling of it but there, there was no higher vision for what they were wanting to do yeah it's an imitation but here i think you can really see the master mastery over the um the pacing uh and i think part of that comes down to the composition like you're talking about where if you are going to have this kind of um this kind of clear format how do you mix that up with the actual image Mm. yeah i think it's it's so much about like it's so much it's so conscious about there being a frame you know and there's some like I'm thinking about DC comics, but it could be anyone, and I maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But some superhero comics are made like Hollywood films, where they're trying not to call attention to the frame, and you'll get like the superhero is like all all spread out over the whole page, and they're like coming right at you, or you know a certain a certain frame is is shot with a lot of um, diagonals, so it disrupts the you know horizontal perpendicular lines of this but v, v for vendetta like leans into that i was especially thinking of um i was i was just looking over this but it's like just before the parade at the end where they're setting up the barricades before the leader comes through and it's one of those deals where they have like three frames of the comic, but you're really looking at one frame as the characters walk through the frames. So you see like the guardrail establishes that it's really this panorama, but the frames separated. So you have like different moments in time and yeah. text boxes like that. And it, it calls attention to the, the portrait, I guess. I, the one last thing I would say about the art is also because 
um, V's mask, the guy Fox mask, you know, it's a, it's a fixed expression. I think they're able to do a lot with whether it's looking at it from a low angle or a high angle, um, finding ways to make that single expression fit a lot of different circumstances. And that could be larger context from the story. Um, and I think there certainly is some of that here. Um, like, you know, something's going on in the story, you expect the mask to react to it. So you kind of see the mask reacting that way. But I think a larger portion of that is how, um, at what angle the mask is shown at. And I think it's just, it's one of those things where you give a great artist a limitation and it's always really fun to see how they work within that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking again, this is jumping back a little bit, but you know, we're talking about the black and white art getting colorized. And I was thinking, why doesn't this film, to me at least, it doesn't seem to reference the movie posters that V has in the shadow gallery. And actually, I think maybe there's something there in the coloration of the images because it reminds me of black and white film that gets tinted. So it has this look of like something in the past brought into the present. And I mean, that's yeah. obvious, you know, you take this like, it was originally published in black and white. Now it's in color. The past is brought into the present. But it has this like, it has kind of a classic Hollywood feel, you know. Well, and the what Lloyd and Moore originally came together to write was uh, more in line with like 1930s pulp. And then that eventually evolved into um, V for Vendetta, along with some ideas that Moore brought in from some uh, pitches that had been rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think you see that in the creation as well, kind of this idea of looking back and trying to recreate something from the past and then kind of by necessity of, you know, their ideas moving it into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, this is like th- this, this is a book crafted with a lot of intent from both of its creators. It's, it feels both Moore and Lloyd, uh, their voices like being fully heard through what they're done. A lot of time you can have one overshadow the other, but I think they're both putting their best foot forward in the story they're wanting to tell. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good time to transition into what we liked about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll start. I, you know, uh, Mark, you brought it up earlier how the, the, the film's having to you know, cut, all, cut out a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I liked kind of how uh, goon of the week this is. Yeah, where yeah. V's mm-hmm. just tracking down someone to just uh, make their day a little worse. Mm-hmm. In their day early. <laughs> yeah. It, it was. It was. It, I, I wasn't expecting it going into this because I've I've seen the movie once. I didn't really retain much from it. Um. So I really didn't know what I was getting into for the most part. But then during uh, the first book of this larger graphic novel. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed how just like, ah, oh, that darn, that darn V he's off again. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'll just start really broad here. Uh, and we can, we can narrow down as we go, but man, V is a super compelling character. Yeah. Um, not, not a hero. I would say more of just, definitely not. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> More of, I think, a, a natural reaction in a lot of ways. Uh, once you get into the story, you know, he's a consequence. He was created by um, the political system. But even beyond that, he, it feels like just a natural response to it, which I'm sure the character of V would say 
he is because he he sees himself more as a representation of an ideology than a person. Mm-hmm. But man, within that, like that that could be a super stale character if you're just trying to create an ideology as a person. But they give V a lot of personality in uh, his consumption of media, his uh, his interactions with the people who he's uh, who he's attacking, and then also his kind of acknowledgement that he is um, not a permanent solution, that he is simply the uh, kind of the antibody coming in to fight the sickness, but he's not going to be the cure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I really appreciate too, is how straightforward the characters are in a lot of their motivations, especially you have like volume two starts with like, this guy's like, I am a fascist and here's why. And then it goes to V and it's like, <laughs> I'm an anarchist and here's why. And that continues through, through a lot of the book. I mean, there, those, those two are really like the, well, not the most, I don't know. They just make their intentions very clear and that's super exciting. But yeah, a tricky, a tricky line to walk. Most people do not succeed as well. And it's, I don't know what what is it about it is it like the charisma is it like the there's humor it's enjoyable because all the characters are so literate you know I I think part of it at least on V's side is the theatricality um like in in the vaudeville chapter how you see a completely different side that is still coherent with the the typical Guy Fox personality that you usually see um but i i think it's it is both the the theatricality that he shows is it obviously adds humor and adds it adds a kind of a spectacle to everything but it also contrasts with how drab and how straightforward the lives of so many of these fascists are like the only culture we see a couple bits of what culture is like in England, but none of them are quite as lively or as uh, complex as what V is pulling from. Yeah. Well, that kind of gets, I don't know, that kind of gets dropped. I think, I think the, the beginning of the story is very clear about the differences in culture and especially about like the hypocrisy of people like the bishop and all that sort of thing. Um, but then it, it, it kind of like goes off the rails and everyone's just like in this dark hell hole for a lot of the second half of the story. But it sets, it sets it up very well. That's kind of, um, not, to, not to get into critiques so much, but I love that V is super uh, frank about supporting anarchism. And I think this, this book probably for a lot of people is like a, maybe a lot of people's first exposure in media to like the idea of anarchy maybe. Um, but comparing oh, it to, it. <laughs> yeah, but comparing it to other things that come later and then books that are about what happens after the, the chaos that V describes it's, it's kind of like, ah, this isn't, this isn't super developed. Like, the beautiful world that V creates in the beginning of the book falls apart by the end, which I guess is also why it's, he's such a compelling character is that he's not always, I guess, you know, maybe he's always right. Maybe the book presents him that way, but 
like it see he he dies and he fell well spoiler or whatever but <laughs> um and in some ways he fails we never get to see the success that he he promises to Evie. yeah he's not sustainable um his and he talks about this as like the the chaos that is coming from his actions is a transitionary period and that he doesn't know what's coming after that like it could be something great it could be it could not be something and you get this kind of idea of you know there's almost a cycle there where eventually even if a good society does come up that there will probably be um outside forces that'll make that fall and then there will have to be another person with v it's very it's it almost feels like a critique of the idea of end of history um almost mm. predating that idea uh when this was published but i think i think that's part of what's compelling about him is it, because because he seems to have he seems to be aware that he won't be around for long he has this real forward progression for how he's going to go about things well yeah and i think you know super surface level observation here that's kind of like the like you know it really gets across because it is mask and they never draw attention to who is v like yeah. it doesn't matter it's like it doesn't matter the man it matters the idea as, yeah. long, as long as that idea just comes up in other for other people that's what will get it going he is i don't think v doesn't have this like hero complex about himself where it's like i i will be the change or something like that it's it's just i i, I can i can start i can be the first domino but i need other dominoes to make this work although i do think he likes he kind of leans in to the swashbuckling nature and he likes the idea of kind of being this uh robin hood I, yeah robin hood agent of chaos like so, just something like when he offers uh to let evie pick a rose for him um that's not anything that has to has to relate to his direct political goals it's driven on by his relationship with evie but also i don't think he would offer that if he didn't enjoy what he did well what i like about uh moore's writing in this because i i there, there's really not much about this where I can point out that he wrote where I'm like, hmm, qu- questionable choice more. But like he <laughs> he didn't he didn't make V this like higher than man type thing mm-hmm. where it's like he has ascended and he knows what he must do. It's like no, he's still a guy at the end of it, but he has he has a clear goal. But it's he he can't stop himself from being human. The moments like that, which I like, because there's there's nothing worse than a personalityless uh, god figure. <laughs> Yeah, in a book, especially with like him being the titular character and stuff, you need charm to him. Um, but he 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 has a very nice balance of how he uh, comes across. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question about something that Joe you said earlier? And this is a little off, but like, oh no, is this your <laughs> is this your first time reading the comic? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well. <laughs> Oh, I, I well let's uh, let's 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 stick to the structure but I'm just very <laughs> compelled by that because I feel like this planted a seed in me like long ago and I've I keep like thinking about this book over and over again it's interesting to like find someone who's encountering it now and we're all in our 20s. Oh yeah, I'm fresh. Well, and this I, is this is my first time too. I'd seen the movie when I whoa. was younger. And I really like the movie, but I never got around to I've also I've also never finished Watchmen. I've started it several times, but every, this is different than Watchmen. Watchmen is I start it 
and I can predict exactly what's happening on the next page because <laughs> it's like so pervasive in the culture. Um, mm. V for Vendetta, I, I, it's just there are too many things and you don't have time for all of them. But man, I do wish I had made time earlier in my life because this is, uh, I, I really enjoyed my time with this. Yeah, the thing with the movie is it really like clarifies some of the arguments in the book and excises a lot of others. Joe, I really appreciate what you said earlier. Like it is like a goon of the week uh, book at times where V fights different villains and you get to see him and his ideology and his actions versus the actions of other people. I find, you know, is he, his solution is always extreme violence. But it's like versus like, oh, the church corruption. And then it's like medical corruption. And then it's like this fascist has a gun and that sort of thing. The book really lets it lets it breathe in the world. Yeah. And that's another thing I really like about it is that it is such a such a well fleshed out world. The second part of this really focuses on a lot of the side characters developing there are stories and in introducing Creedy, who would, who will of course become a more major threat in the third act um, or the third book. Mm-hmm. But it's, I, I think that more in Lloyd take time to flesh these characters out, show that it's that they have spent a lot of time thinking about um, thinking about the world that they're creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, that's amazing. That's that's probably my favorite thing about any Alan Moore product is that it all seems so intentional. Like everything, everything is going to come back later on. So it's just an enjoyable time for me. Yeah. One more thing about V that I like before. I mean, we can keep going if, if everybody else has more things to say, mm-hmm. but uh, for me, I, this is kind of just echoing what you said earlier, Caleb, but um, Mark, you wouldn't think about it when you're uh, just talking about the each goon and how V always just reacts with violence. And it's not so much that it's like, yes, V is an extremist, but it's because he's reacting exactly how the forces have made him react. Mm-hmm. Caleb, you're saying he, he just is a pro like a reaction yeah. to what's going on. And I like that. It's not there because I don't think the book ever expects you to, uh, think that for like even a second that V is like a good guy. Like mm-hmm. he, he may he may be doing what is right in this situation, but he he's not good by any means or anything. And I like that it, it isn't this disconnect between his actions and what the story is wanting you to think about him. But they they just man, he really nailed he really nailed just getting V down and not having you really question anything about him. He makes perfect sense in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that something I love is that this story seems like a story in the life of this character V that they pulled from something else, but this is an original character. Like he's he's yeah. he seems like he has this rich history and we're just it's one vol- one tale in his life. Yeah, one more story for the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure if your copy has this mark, but there are um, the one we read has two short stories that were published in Wizard, but aren't really, uh, they're not considered part of the canonical timeline or something or other, but oh. they're just like, they're side stories. One is about some cops who are, uh, who are abusing this uh, guy they're questioning and V comes in and kind of turns the tables on them. 
And then the other is about this security guard who helps me get into a place to kill some people because, you know, he's part of the, I guess the argument would be because he's part of the proletariat and he, Oh yeah, know, yeah, yeah. There's, um, but I, I think both of those kind of add to this idea of, um, this character who is bigger than the story they're in. Yeah. And I should say those, they are short stories, but they're still like, I did read those and they're short comics. Those were yeah. included in the volumes that I read as well. Yeah. I love those. I love, uh, this whole book is about like, even V is such a small character in the giant engine of this book. I love mm-hmm. that he really is doing his own thing, but because of the little bit of disorder that he creates, you can see this thread that starts from that where it's like now all these little things are falling apart and he even says that during that monologue like little voices are you know meaningless by themselves but they're relative to the silence that comes before so it's like all this this sort seeming not seemingly that's the wrong word but it's like sort of unrelated events come together to get us to the end of the book I think the most, one of the most interesting uh, locations in the book, but also like uh, unraveling stories, is the story of Lark Hill, which ties into V's origin. And, you know, normally you wouldn't want to get an origin for a character like V, but I think mm-hmm. it's so important here. Um, and you get to see Lark Hill through a couple different lenses. You first get to see it as V's presenting it to one of the people who worked there. Then you get to see it through um, Evie's uh, a bit of theater that V puts on, where he puts Evie through the experience of being there. Um, <laughs> a bit of theater, no, but that's such a, a, that is yeah. what it is. It is it's a bit of theater. I just mm-hmm. love the way you describe it like that. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that some more because I know Joe, you had a lot of thoughts about that when we watched oh the my movie. God. <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, eventually we get to see a couple different ideas, but I, I think that's such an interesting turning point because um i read that uh the first issue there uh i think it's vaudeville where he's he's taking the um he's taking the old officer through the recreation of lark hill and Mm -hmm. um you see you see the priest there and how he interacted at the place and right after reading that i went online and i saw an article about how ron DeSantis was a lawyer at gitmo who uh, the military used to get information out on how to better torture uh, the people there. And it was just one of those really weird moments where art starts to talk about life. And it was, I I think it's such an interesting thread here about how, you know, normal people can be led to do such terrible, terrible things. Yeah. Man, speaking of that moment, I know that that's that's very pr- profound, and this is a little more about storytelling trickery. But no matter in what medium or how many times I read this, it always like it being a trick that she's that she's not in prison is like one of the all time moments, and it hits for me. It hits every time. It's like amazing. It, it it's a hit for sure for 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 better or for worse. Yeah, I mean it's horrifying, it, it, but that's it is like certainly it's just, a, a yeah. hit where it's a good it is a good rug pull. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I I love that moment. I I love the letter uh, that she reads. Um, and mm-hmm. that you find out that V read. Um, 
that was one of that was a, a pretty impactful thing for me when I first saw the movie. But rereading it here and uh, kind of rediscovering that story in its original medium, um, it also it also I think had a had an equally profound effect this time around. Um, the idea that like you have this one inch that you can't let other people take away from you is yeah it's something i'm not sure if if applicable i would be strong enough to adhere to but um it, it's certainly a very moving uh story beat yeah yeah that's kind wow. of a big question isn't it i mean it's not i don't know maybe maybe anything about you know being in prison makes you think about that sort of thing but yeah it, this this book is so much about like destroying people's identity and there's there's all this symbolism with masks and how whatever drugs v or in torture than drugs v is receiving like destroy his identity how evie's identity is destroyed how everyone's identity is destroyed um by becoming like the next v and all that sort of thing it's very interesting it's something that's like it's something that's so terrifying and not I, I think that's part of why this is compelling. Basically, I don't think that I think that there's a strain of anarchism which is like related to libertarianism, which is all about like individualism and um, so many isms. That it's <laughs> it's like all all about like individual liberty, but the book shows over and over again how your individualism can be. Uh, can be lost in the the tide of of whatever whatever movement you're a part of just before I got on here I I reread I I was just flipping through before we came on and I reread the assassination scene and Rosemary's monologue before she uh kills um the the leader and it's all about how like she's nobody but she's going to become someone. But then in the book, she never appears again. Or in the story, she never appears again. It's just mm -hmm. like the crowd takes care of her or whatever happens. Um, I think I'm right about that. But that is, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting how the, the book really pushes on what the actual outcomes of these political movements are and how there can be like, hypocrisy in in all sides of it man there's so much if, if diving into like the commentary of fascism is it's both tempting and daunting because i'm like if i start talking about this i know i'm gonna say something wrong but, yeah uh, i kind of feel like transition into the next <laughs> i feel like maybe i'm saying something wrong but i'm kind of like after i'm sure you guys feel this way after doing like podcasts sometimes you just kind of have to keep talking. Yeah, and I don't yeah, mean this yeah. oh, to yeah, excuse sure. like, yeah, I don't, I don't mean for this to excuse like bad takes if I'm making them, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes that's what you need to like get a clear idea out is power through. So yeah, you just uh, like voice your thoughts out. Yes. And, uh, and I think, I think you're making, uh, you're making all valid points, Mark. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it is, I mean, that is the appeal of this book is that there is, um, there's a lot of room for you to think over things. And Alan Moore 
while he is presenting things clearly, he isn't prescribing things, which I think is a very uh, tough thing to do because um, you, on one end, then you just get someone who's giving you a lecture about how their political philosophy is right, and, uh, and it's veiled in the side of a story. On the other end, you're getting just meaningless uh, allusions towards political ideas. Um, but I think I think there's a there's a line a tightrope that's walked here where you're able to see kind of the full breadth of a political philosophy, but also you don't feel like you're being recruited into that philosophy. Um, but yeah, this is a like super interesting way of viewing fascism. Both um, like obviously there's some post World War II stuff here, but obviously very influenced by the Cold War and by Thatcherism. Um, and it's interesting to see how more plays with these ideas we have about uh, philosophy or uh, Nazism and anarchism and uh, communism and all these stuff kind of rolled up into it. Mm-hmm. But you know, speaking of takes, we've had we've had a lot of good ones here. Let's get some, uh, you know, maybe good ones, but on the opposite side of the coin, uh, negatives. Uh, I, I I won't I won't quite show my hand quite yet but mm. um no you you as, as soon as we get to the good old uh evie torture less so scene and more so story middle act of the entire book man that just <laughs> that's like that's the part of the book like a section of like any book where the middle is like it's it's the part where you want to be most engaged and at that point, when when I'm watching the movie, when I read it here, I'm like, "This is nope. I do not. Ca- I, I this guy is not doing right. Whatever it is, I am not for this man anymore. I hate, 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 hate that entire segment mm-hmm. so much. Well, I'm and it's saying- even worse by the fact that Evie's younger in this. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's so much worse. Yeah, that's such a like. I don't know. I'm sure people. People do this now too, but it seems like such a an antiquated thing now to have women characters be like so ridiculously young, and there is like some kind of romantic. I, I think there is like this this there is some tension between her and V about like is is your father, but also like he's this dashing guy that saves her. Yeah, um, but yeah, do you? Do you feel like in that point, I mean, you hate it and that like, I'm, I'm like with you, I'm like, it's awful. But do you feel like you drop out of the story at that point? It has to do with, uh, the limited engagement I had beforehand too, where like, I enjoy the goon of the week stuff, but that first book, at least for me is super hard to find stuff to latch onto other than like the. Uh, the theatrical nature of his deeds, mm-hmm. I guess. So by the time it's getting around, like Evie, Evie's finally becoming like her own character at that point where it's like, oh, I'm, I'm having, I have someone consistent where I can start latching onto for lack of a better word. And, and then it's just, it's completely torn apart because I, I, I was thinking about it because it was happening in the book. I was like, oh, I, I, I blocked this out. I completely forgot about this part. And then it got to, I was like, wait, she's like 10 years younger than she is in the movie. This is giving it a completely different read. And like, it was already Stockholm syndrome in the movie. This is even worse because there's like, absolutely, she, she's a kid. 
Yeah. And I mean, this isn't the first time V has done something. Yep. Uh, like the thing is in the pre, if we're going to, if we're going to have a conversation about her being 16, the, the whole scene with the priest, I think is uh, recontextualized here too, because he's, he's putting an underage girl into a very sexually dangerous situation. Um, now yeah. my thing is like, V is a bad character. He's supposed to be a bad character. I, I'm not, I'm not saying this to justify anything he does. You know, obviously I think the torture is maybe a bit much, um, but it is, I, I don't know. It, it adds a certain complexity um, where I can still buy into it, but I understand if that's the part where people are like, nah, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially because on, on rereading this, the scene with the Bishop really comes out of nowhere. Like there are moments when it's like, oh, she's opening a window or like now, you know, now she'll let V in this other way, but there's really no reason for her to be there. Um, yeah. and it's just kind of like, ah, all right, well, this is wild, but yeah. I don't want to say it's a poorly written like segment because y- you know, this works for a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't work for just as many. Uh, it's it's a choice <laughs> that was made for uh, and I, I'm sure when Alan, Alan Moore seems like a smart dude, you know, besides all his wizardry that he's into nowadays. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm sure he knew he was writing a very divisive moment. Um, unfortunately, I landed on the opposite side of that coin where just to get my other stuff out of the way, I it's I I have this trend of. We we reread these classics, these comic uh, book, not milestones, but, or I guess milestone could be a good yeah, word for it. Definitely, if there is a literary canon that is specific to like graphic novels, this is in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, where I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear down why this is good, why this is actually bad. Uh, I'm not gonna do that here because I don't I don't think this is actually bad. I just I personally really did not engage with it to the point of I'm recognizing like all these things that are good about it. But overall, I'm just like, I, I, I not even that I don't get it. <laughs> I just, it's not for me. I don't, there, I, I'm reading it. I'm just not connecting with anything in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then the, the middle torture stuff comes and I'm just like, yep, nope, I'm out. Oh, what, 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 what did you guys like go for this when I suggested it? I'm just wondering, was it like, we, we should read this thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured I wasn't going to come into this, like loving it. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, of the, of the choices you just, I'm like, I feel like this is the one where we can get the most, like, there's a good conversation to be had. Cause whether or not I like a book, I always look forward to, or whether or not I give Caleb a book, what it like, and I can usually predict if he's going to like it or not talk about one piece last week i knew he was gonna hate it but mm-hmm. i feel like there's a good conversation to be had about it yeah yeah, yeah. i think I, mean, I i was very excited when you brought this up but i think um and i i don't think this would have been something that i would have given joe outside of it but i think that's the cool thing about having guests and why we don't um I think we I think we make a pretty good attempt of trying to get guests on who have different perspectives on things and stuff. Um the fact that you like you brought this on, I was automatically like, Oh yeah, of course we're gonna have a good conversation because Mark is gonna be passionate about this. He's yeah. gonna have a lot of interesting insights. 
Um, mm-hmm. Also, you know, just talking to Mark usually is a good time. So, oh my gosh, but, um, talking to you is a good time. Talking to both of you is a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think that there is a. Uh, I don't know. I I think that this would have been something that I would have maybe uh, avoided. Uh, but once you you brought it on, I'm like, heck yeah, let's do let's go for it. Let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, cross that one off. Yeah, I was. I'm just. I was just like ever like post 2020. I'm trying to read more like political fiction, and I had read V for Vendetta a long time ago, and then I wanted to come back to it because it was like, um, you know, just, let's just see how this is aged compared to like yeah my perception of things, and I, I kind of talked about this earlier, so I don't need to rehash that. But yeah, well. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad we are talking about it. But anyway, I derailed I derailed the the qui- the quibbles section. Oh, that's fine. Um, uh, do you all have any quibbles of your own? <laughs> I do actually. Um, yeah, it's, it, I like this a lot, and I don't have a lot negative to say. But if there is one part of the narrative that just didn't hook me, all of the uh, political infighting that we get with the party in the third act oh yes um, oh my gosh it's it's not that it's on its surface uninteresting i think that more definitely understands how to how to play characters off of each other i think it's just at that point in the story we're playing with such big ideas and it's pretty obvious that the party's gonna fall that the specifics of the infighting just feel very small yeah 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 it's it's like we we know these characters are going to die in pages or not die but like this we're, we're coming to the end of the story like yeah v is on his way out just everything says you know we're not gonna get there and also they do seem like much smaller characters because it this starts with people like saying that they love computers and um you have like these faces the parts of a body are like the different parts of a government and you have all these people who are like secretly gay and at the end it's just like oh man you're just like you're like just cheating on each other and it's going to be this power struggle against like kind of capitalistic people i guess i don't know i'm throwing around the word capitalism like (laughs) it's just some something i can hurl at people but really they're just like (laughs) power hungry and i think they have money so I'm wondering if it is a thing of like, okay, these are really big ideas and I'm not grasping onto them. Or if it's like, this is a, this is like, this is very ingrained in like British culture. And is this a cultural thing that I, or I'm just uninformed and don't know much about it. Mm. I'm like, I'm sure there's multi, multiple factors of this is, this is playing with such big ideas that you kind of do have to, it doesn't, it, it, is it failing at a job of like giving me context or is it like I, I needed to come into this more or I just wasn't grasping. Like, I that is it's why I hesitate to just like give it. I, I think it good book. Pro- probably just I was not the type of person it was meant for. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, Mark, do you have any uh, quibbles? Well, my quibbles, and I hate to call them quibbles because this is an important <laughs> part of the discussion of anything. Is like what we don't like, so I don't want to diminish it by calling them quibbles. Um. But it's just I think a fun word. it is it is a fun word. It's my my beef with it is more like whenever I can see the I like early on the 
goon of the week aspect of it. But anytime I can see like the storytelling seams or anything like that, it kind of frustrates me. Like when he kills that guy on the ledge, it's like, all right, he's just, he's taken out a bad guy and it's kind of taken a while. Um, or when we have the, the time where the detective takes LSD and it's like, <laughs> well, this is the LSD episode. Um, I also have a problem with that because I think that this, I don't know, I'm always frustrated by like drugs in movies because I'm not like the most drug user person in the world, but in my limited experience, drugs are like the least narrative thing ever. So I just, I think that like, you can you can present a new story as oh sheets of music or oh this letter le- left by an inmate takes us to this new world but i think like drugs just with my experience of them i cannot take it seriously that like they're going to give him this these visions of yeah of whatever you know it's just like all right it's very convenient that you took like a small uh, some indeterminate amount of acid or whatever and now you're like having these great realizations about like i've uh, seen god (laughs) yeah it's like well you know who knows what would have happened um so so i think that's it and other than that i don't really i agree with you caleb some of the characters are just less compelling and there are so many of them um but yeah i think i don't know i just to talk about what you were talking about joe i just i don't know i gravitate towards towards like violent stuff sometimes so part of it is is i'm there are times when i do not have the stomach for it and there are also times like i cannot believe this is happening like i could not this story is is showing me things that i would not see in other places and sometimes i value like those extreme situations like like her being in prison not that yeah, I like I, I, enjoy it exactly, but it's you know it's just like wow, no, where could I get this kind of thing? You know, I understand. Like, I, I I totally get any enjoyment people get out of it. Like, it's not so much that I'm like adverse to any uh, violent situations. Like, like I like I love Berserk, and that book is just like mega violence at all times. But it's just like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That's when it gets into something so realistic like that, and for the like, the, the, you know. I, we've said it he's not a good guy but he's the hero of the story <laughs> and yeah. it's like ah, i think you're kind of just as bad well and that's why like i would argue he's not i, I you know we, we can go back to kind of what we talked about at the beginning here with whether or not evie is uh technically an aizen character or not um whether or not we we want to give her that label she's clearly the character who's most directly influenced by v and i think what you see there is that she is the next logical step where she is going to become the better version of V. V can't make out of this story alive, but Evie can, and Evie has the tools necessary to help build a better world. Yeah, I didn't mean to lead that into like deconstructing more aspects of it. Oh, no, it's like, it's like I get it. This isn't a this isn't a saga where I do not understand the appeal in any way, shape, or form. Like I get it. It's just not. It's just not something that latched onto me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the last, my last negative, and it's so small, and you know, I, it's it's a it's another taste thing. Don't write your characters with phonetic accents. Uh, 
it can oh, it yeah. has a kind of <laughs> it has kind of a camp quality, but man, if it's getting in the way of you being able to understand what they're saying. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I love giving everybody goofy British accents in my head. <laughs> I'm yeah. specifically thinking of the of the character, uh, the Cockney character. I think his name's Ali, um, who just like I, I I'll give him this. I always knew he was that character when he was speaking. Sometimes the sometimes the thought or the word bubbles don't always line up with the character. But man, when that Cockney phonetic accent was written out, I knew who it was. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny. I guess maybe that's another. Thing that which is not really a quibble with the book. This is just kind of what I've come to expect from like an Alan Moore joint, whatever artist he's working with, is like how each frame is leading you to the next frame. And it really is doing it, but you don't always get that on the first reading. It's like to use film terms, it's like the shot that is the next shot is like hidden in the previous frame, but you don't notice that unless you're really reading carefully and then you have to go back later on and then it's like oh my gosh these frames like took us down an alleyway and then up the side of a building but you don't know that unless you like read back on it it's so easy in this book i i mean i just really felt this reading through it's like sometimes you don't exactly know like where you are or what what is happening you have to like go check and it's like oh yeah this is like the cockney guy and especially the differences between uh, Evie and Rosemary, who have such similar stories in in the middle. It's like, oh, well, she had, like this person ends up with a lodger. Now this person is also at the cabaret in the yeah. same small town. It's like, how? Why? Why is this so confusing? Why are they so? And similar? they're twins. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but I, I mean, man. it's small. You did just make me think of how interesting it would be if, because we, for the listener, me and Mark went to film school together. Um, Mm. I I really think there would have been a value in having a class that taught cinematography through, uh, through comic books. I think that would have been really interesting because I do think you see a lot of the same, um, a lot of the same language used uh, that you get with storyboards that you get with, uh, with graphic novels that's your class when you um, get to go be a teacher i'm not smart enough i'm gonna stick with my my uh here's the things about westerns <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I'm, I'm not gonna get too into that because i feel like it would be like it's a big thing about cinematography but yeah yeah, yeah i think i think there's something there i think yeah, there's talking about movies we're talking about picture books <laughs> yeah well there's something about like to explore about you know why why does our brain take us on the journey that it does. I think with V for Vendetta, I am so I'm trying so close to pay such close attention to the like the political arguments and sometimes I get like lost in some poetry quotation or something like that. So maybe it's valuable to say that the blocking doesn't always matter as well. This is only something I think about when I'm like reading it critically that I'm like, I don't really know what's actually happening here, even though I'm reading this poetry. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely value and appro- approaching it that way is something you can learn from like that. But also like, you know, maybe there, there's a lot, there's a lot of different elements at work here. Oh yeah. Is that at the beginning? I'll say it now. Dense book. 
Dance. Has a lot to say and has a lot to get across. Yes. And I'm looking forward to uh to reading it many more times as uh in the future. Uh those times you will not be able to hear about it because we won't do a podcast episode on it, but <laughs> a second uh, look. <laughs> which honestly, you know, I, I, I do wonder a lot of the times how how much I'll pick up on if I'm not reading or watching something for a podcast. Um because you know, sometimes I can definitely have podcast brain. I don't think I had podcast brain while reading for V for Vendetta because it's such an engrossing story. But I think mm-hmm. definitely there are times when I can read through something and be like, oh, I have to be looking for something to talk about. <laughs> well, I do think that reminds me of an experience I had reading this with podcast brain is, and I, I'm saying this because I recommend it to people to read some of the dialogue out loud because on the page, it looks very literary. But when you read it, you start to discover the logical threads. And people say you should do this with like Shakespeare or just any poetry that was like written to be spoken as well. But especially when the doctor is confessing to V about why she did what she did at the camp. And you, you, can, you can read that and see it on the page and be like, wow, I don't know why this character is about to die. It's like confessing how her backstory like how that went but reading it aloud really showed me how in the writing the there's like this logical and emotional thread um to what she's saying and i can't i can't go ever through every example of that but especially with something like v for vendetta which is so dense you're not always sure how things are connected i i'm just sharing with everyone i really got some joy and some new insights out of reading some passages aloud yeah. Well, do you want to have anything else they'd like to add to the quibbles before we wrap up? Oh, I'll just I'm, say, yeah. uh, we're leaving a lot on the table here with V for Vendetta. Yeah. Um, e- even if we went for another half hour, I don't think we could cover everything that this book has to offer. Um, but I, I think that this is, uh, this is definitely. One of, one of my favorite things we've read in a while and very well deserving of its kind of place in the, in the comic book canon. Yeah, definitely. I, this was why I was like flipping through it before I came on. I was like, I, I gotta make sure I'm not forgetting something where they like explain this on another page or, or whatever. So definitely much we haven't talked about, but I'm, I'm glad we talked about what we did. Yeah, I'm glad. We're able to have this talk. I feel like, you know, having the, having you as the third person added to what might be a very one sided conversation between me and Caleb. So even even though I didn't like it, I'm glad I did read it and was able to have uh, the experience of talking about it with others, like you know, right after uh, reading it. And thank you, Mark, for willing being willing to come on and talk about it. Um, this was great. I was, I'm so, I really enjoyed talking with y'all and I got to reread V for Vendetta. I've had a, I've had a great time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I have had, I have, uh, you had this experience, Joe. Now no, I, I, it's, it it's expected at a certain point for me. So, <laughs> yeah. Trust me, this is, this is Joe being pretty positive towards the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Go back and listen to our Saga episodes if you want to hear Joe actually really? turn into something. Um, Honestly, I was not the biggest fan of Saga. It's funny that I listened to the Bakuman episode where you're introducing it to Caleb and you're very much like, oh my gosh, I love Bakuman. So yeah, I need to I need to go back and hear the how how these conversations developed. Oh man, if it's like Excalibur too, oh man. <laughs> don't go, I don't go back and listen to that one. That is not me on top four. <laughs> Oh well, I'm curious um, now, but yeah, I I, I need to, I, I need to ex- expand, you know, listen to more. But yeah, yeah. Well, enough about about people listening to our podcast. Mark, where can where can the good people find you? Oh my gosh! So the podcast that I have with Danny Vincent, who came on here a while back, is called "Looking for the Ocean: A Pixar Journey," and we rewatch everything that Pixar has ever made. And we talk about the films and we use those films as a way to talk about film theory, also where we were in our lives when we watched the films, what they mean to us. We kind of use the films as a, as a jumping off point to have, have bigger discussions about, about a lot of things. Um, and that's looking for the ocean, pixar.com. No, that's not what it is. That's the <laughs> name, the, the name of the podcast, but um, we're, you can find us on looking for the ocean pixar.podbean.com you can also search for looking for the ocean pixar on like any social media that you have we are some version of that on everything we chose the title before we thought about like optimizing it so that we could all have the same handle everywhere but and we're also wherever you get your podcasts looking for the ocean a pixar journey you can find yeah us. i'll link it to a couple places in the description of this episode um yeah. Me and Caleb will do our regular sign off a little later. Um, but sure. again, thank you for thank you for doing this, Mark. It was a fun time. Thank you for so much. I had so much fun. Thank you. England prevails. <laughs> good talk. Absolutely, as as it usually is with good old Mark. But um, but it's my pick next week. It is. What 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 will you have me read? Hopefully, we have a good talk about this next book. Joe's going to get it. Next week, you will not have Mark's soothing, deep voice to guide you. You'll be stuck with the two of us. We are so far ahead on episodes, I have no idea what he could be bringing me. Like, it could be an Ultimate Spider-Man. I have no idea when the last time we did one of those was. He's given me no hints. I have seen nothing. Alrighty, alrighty. I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm not oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Wait, I, I had something I wanted to say. You, you can open your eyes now. I'm hitting. Okay. It. Um, for for a little peek into uh, our our recording setups, going to change soon. We'll be uh, Caleb and me will no longer be uh, roommates. So. I have I have a couple things where I was going to bring them on, and I was like, mm, we we don't exactly know when our last episode recording in here is going to be. So do I do I do a poetic end or do I do a um, you know just another episode? Um, and then I thought, nah, I can do both. Well, <sighs> you know, it's something we've been covering for forever. Yeah. Um, and by God, we're going to keep covering it. It doesn't matter. If we if we no longer have the, have the same shared recording space, yeah. Uh, for those of you listening, absolutely nothing will change about the show. <laughs> no, nothing will. Um, 
we're so far ahead in our backlog that like it will be like a year before we get around to like running into a recording, even like a, a recording scheduling issue. Yeah. But we are in fact going back as I predicted while you were out of the room or kind of semi predicted ultimate Spider-Man volume 10 volume 10, which has no one's favorite Firestar, and then Iceman. His amazing friends. Yes. As it was. I just took apart my Firestar Lego. Since we're moving, I, I was taking apart my Daily Bugle, and I was I was disassembling her. Well, I was like, it's either we do it now, and I hold off on packing it up, or I pack it up, and then we can't cover it. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> I Yeah, no, I, I am super interested. Um, oh, and then I just looked at the back, and the ex- explosive return of the Green Goblin. Um I'm interested to see what they do with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I mean, it's a new creative team now. It's post-Bagley era. Oh, I completely forgot about that. I was like, this cover looks off, but... (laughs) It is. It doesn't look off. It looks different. Different, yeah. It is. Well... (laughs) I'm less apprehensive than I have been the last couple times. I think it's a shorter... It's It's not as massive of a... Uh, issue amount that like we covered last time but that's for next time right now you dear viewer can rate this podcast five stars if you enjoyed our conversation with mark on the podcast platform of your choice and you know go over give his podcast a five-star rating links below to everything and uh if you have any more input you want to do you can email us at only 52 podcast at gmail.com with that stuff and we'll be back next week same podcast time same podcast channel See you then.